0: Welcome everyone to another episode of the podcast. It's been a little while but I'm uh, I'm happy to be back from, from my little hiatus and we've got a, a bunch of very exciting guests coming soon. So as you guys know, a little bit of quick housekeeping. If you are new to the show, please do me a quick favor, follow me on Instagram at Felix.Levine, my YouTube that you can find by searching Felix Levine. You'll find all video versions of my episodes there. And obviously, all audio versions of every podcast are on Apple and Spotify, so make sure that you go check that out. Subscribe to that, rate, review all of that beautiful stuff. Um, So let's get into it. And my next guest. I am super excited to have her on the show, and I am willing to bet that she is a better driver than every single one of you listening out there. She is my first NASCAR driver on the podcast. Please welcome Julia Lindauer. julia thank you so much for for being here and i need to first publicly apologize as well because and josh knows this you'll you'll be episode number 90 and my one rule my two rules are be as professional as possible and in that rule is be on time and early and i've never been late to a single session and josh can attest to this i'm always about 20 30 minutes early but i had some some reasons today but still no excuse so I want to apologize to you but also thank you so much for for making it happen and, and being flexible
1: oh no that's okay and I'll appreciate the public uh, apologies I will say um being on time is also a big thing for me so I yeah. understand how rough it can be if you're late like I think I told you I was gonna arrive 15 minutes early of our rescheduled time and then I thought the train was delayed and so then I was very upset that I was then gonna be it's, 15 minutes late
0: it's just a feeling I mean it's a feeling that it's it the hurts day. the gut yeah Cause I just don't. I also think like your time is precious. And so, yeah. uh, but, anyways. Well,
1: I appreciate it. No no hard no feelings. Hard feelings. Yeah. We can move past this. It's been us. a day anyway. Amazing. So, there we go.
0: So, I told you a few seconds ago. Is there a little tidbit, a little story, a little something yeah. the world might not know about you from what's already out there?
1: Yeah. So, I am gonna just say that I'm a race car driver even though it's not not been an intro yet but I'm a race car driver and I've already mentioned that I'm not a particularly good parallel parker um, oh, which is ironic but also like gauging how far cars are in front of me um, is something that I know that my depth perception is different which is something that my trainer and I work really hard on so I have to put in a little extra effort to understand kind of where cars are in front of me and what that means is like you know just taking the extra time to have someone coach me and tell me that
0: so is this both like when you're racing and also like when you're just driving in normal life
1: yeah I mean it's a depth perception thing so everyone has you know everyone is wired to perceive depth and usually you're pretty good at it and if you're not you've got to do extra training for it so it's never been an issue on track like I learned how to compensate for it but it um Yeah, it's like I thought that I was – For excuse me. For example, I thought that I was really close to a car in front of me back when I was 14, I think, and just started racing cars. And I got off the track, and the coach had said, like, you can't start making a pass that early. You're not close enough. And I was like, what do you mean? I was right there. Mm -hmm. Like, I would have hit him if I stayed behind him. He's like, no, you still had, like, two feet. Mm -hmm. So then I realized, like, I have to sit in the car in pit lane, and I keep inching forward, and I have a coach tell me, like, how far ahead. And I do that – the first time in any kind of new car. And then I'm good, because then I have the visuals. Right. But it's not as innate.
0: It is pretty interesting, because, like, obviously, it's such a, I would imagine, a very big factor.
1: Yeah, you know? it's just the initial, again, it's just the initial, like, right. setting the gauge gotcha. to get there, because I'm still able to get two championships out of it, right? <laughs> like, it hasn't been an inhibiting factor, but it's something that I have to actively uh, prep for, and then my trainer and I also actively work on increasing that depth perception ability.
0: So one thing that I just randomly thought of earlier today when I was driving. I was like if I was Julia right now, I would literally know that everyone around me is not as good as of a driver as I am. Do you ever think about that when you're driving just on a on a main road? Oh
1: yeah. I, I don't like, you know like you're driving. You're better than every yeah. I don't like driving on the road. I'll be the first to admit my boyfriend drives us everywhere and I'm totally fine with oh, really? that. Oh yeah. He yeah. He drives. Yeah. 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 Just
0: uh, and why is that? You just don't like how the mm.
1: I don't know. He's a good driver. He's European. They him? learn how to drive over there pretty well okay. Um, and trust him. Yeah, totally. And I don't have to drive because I get so frustrated. You know, people don't we don't invest in educating people how to drive here. That's true. And so you'll have people sitting in the left lane. PSA. Don't sit in the left lane Mm because it's very annoying or just like knowing that I can't be distracted while driving So I know that other people really can't and you just have to be so much more defensive on the road Whereas on a racetrack for the most part everyone else knows how to handle the vehicle and won't be stupid Right, you can't make that assumption on the road.
0: Now. I'm also fascinated that you're a city girl and parallel parking is It's a struggle. Oh, I've barely driven in the city because when
1: I was getting my license You had to be 18 unless you took driver's ed and my parents right. and i were just offended by right. that notion right. <laughs> and um and so i didn't and then i went to college and i haven't lived in new york since so i drive in new york but parallel parking pa- we
0: have a garage spot so <laughs> maybe one day i can teach you how to parallel that'll maybe, be kind of fun I'm for getting me to ta- better, teach the race car driver how to parallel park
1: right especially in a bigger car like i drive a small volkswagen gti okay. so it's little even if i don't think there's enough room i know there's enough room right. conceptually like my boyfriend's car is this like Big Mom SUV, and I would hate to have to parallel
0: park that. Interesting. Yeah. So where do you grow up in in the city?
1: I grew up on the Upper West Side.
0: Okay. And then I went to Stuyvesant High School. Oh, so you went to Stuyvesant. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I went to Beacon.
1: Oh, okay, know a lot of people who went to Beacon also.
0: Uh, you know, of course. It's now not... I'm trying to think of the it... specific people that I know. <laughs> well, so I think what's so that's interesting. So you went. You where'd you go for? So I went to Ethical. And
1: throughout 8th grade ethical culture. So I went to private school throughout 8th grade okay. and
0: then switched. And then, that must have been a little bit of a... It was different. ...switch, yeah. yeah. Stuyvesant is quite intense. I have a few friends that went there. Yeah,
1: yeah, um, yeah, yeah.
0: It's a different. It's a different... It's a different...
1: I liked animal. it a lot more. Really? I fit in a lot better at Stuy. I loved how big and diverse it was. Um, I loved that it was in Tribeca and I wasn't taking a school bus up, up to the Bronx for yeah. for school. Um, I, I found it more intense academically. Um, and, and my elementary school was great. But by the time I was in middle school, I wanted something
0: bigger. And did you so I know STEM is a big part of mm-hmm. your hobbies mm-hmm. um, and your passions. Was that kind of early on when you went to Sykes? I know it's pretty driven there. Now. It's a math and science school. It's a math yeah. and science school.
1: Um, that's a great question. So not really. I realized, mm-hmm. um, you know, when I was younger, I knew that I loved that I was this tiny girl that was maneuvering a machine, right? In a go-kart, is just, you know, because there's no suspension, we use our bodies to physically flex the chassis, and I just love that human-machine interaction. Obviously didn't know that that was a buzzword, right? Like human-machine interaction, but I loved that just in the back of my mind, and I love that there were different concepts that were coming together to make the go-kart go fast, and then there was the mechanical side, and then there was a physical side, and you feel the G-forces through the corner, and it was just all really cool, and... Um, I wouldn't say I was the best at my math and science classes, but they made sense and I liked the challenge and I'll be the first to admit that, like, I did not have straight A's in any of my academics. It's your um, first life, since it's pretty hard to get straight A's. Yeah, but it's amazing how many people accomplish oh, it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I think having, like, I think I was right around, like, a 90-91 student and that, know, that put I... me in, like, the bottom half yeah, of the class. different like
0: that, like, they... It's a, it's a whole it's a competitive oh, yeah. beast.
1: Oh yeah, which never bothered me because I had been so competitive. Right. One, I'm the oldest child, so there's some competition. Of how many? Three. Oof. Yeah, and so some some competition there, but then also just what I love to do was very right. very competitive, and I'm a competitive person. So, um, but yeah.
0: Were you innately competitive when you were younger?
1: Yeah. I think and so. You think it's
0: just because you're the oldest child, or there was something personality also.
1: I think. What, what I, I mean, it? I don't know. I like. I like winning. Like it just feels good to win, and I realize like as I have gotten older and have done more, and you just you know learn about gender dynamics, and you mm-hmm. learn about you know as you get older as a woman and person of color, whatever, it's um you realize some of the obstacles against you, and girls are not taught to want to win, and yeah. I think I remember hearing Serena Williams like was one of the first. Big prominent athletes who was a woman to say like I love winning. I was like, yes, obviously. Like, why else would you compete in sports if you didn't want to win? And like, that
0: was, uh, I believe, is something with regards to that in the in your first TED talk that we we I told you earlier about. Yeah, um, that everybody that's listening or watching should should check out. Which I believe was what is the exact title?
1: The title is "Can Nice Girls Win?" Can nice girls win? parentheses races,
0: races. There you go. Um and that was that was a little while ago.
1: Yeah, that was in 2014. I was a
0: baby. A baby. I watched
1: myself on stage. I'm like, oh, Julia, you know what's fun- you're so cute. You know,
0: it's funny? You know funny. I rewatched that last night, both of them, and so I watched the first one first, the Stanford one, because then uh, and that was Julia when I was 22. Also- okay, so she was 22, and that was seven eight years ago. Yeah. Um, and then I rewatched the other TED talk that you did. I think it was Columbus Circle. Yeah, was that the yeah. one? And um and that was a, lo- a few years ago, 2019, yeah. And I remember thinking just to myself, I was like, in the first one, I was like, she speaks very well, especially like you were very young at the time, like I w- I was impressed. And then I saw you in the Columbus Circle, and I was like, wow, that's like a lot better. <laughs> well, it's a lot better, but it, I mean, the bass was very solid, yeah. And ve- like it was very good for by any standard, very good. But then I was like, wow, like the improvements are even so apparent. Yeah. Um, but well, thank you, I'm glad. But that. you are a motivational glad I got speaker as well so
1: yeah and i got quite lucky with you know stanford asked me to give a tedx talk and i got to work with a speaking coach which if anyone wants to be a speaker i highly recommend just investing in that i'm lucky that i didn't have to but it was it's it's so good because you just get out of your own head and so learned how to tell a story properly it's Mm -hmm. all my content it's all and it's my style on stage but um it it's a really fun career to have but yeah i look back and i'm like oh you spoke so quickly i had practiced it and it was 11 and a half minutes every time i practiced eight and a half on the real one and yeah well it's the nerves and it's the excitement because yeah. there's adrenaline because yeah. the crowd is either into it or not hopefully they are and my crowd was and they were laughing at my jokes i was like oh my god this is the best feeling ever and after after winning races of course um it's a really good feeling and um you know I just you get excited and then you get into it and I walk around on stage a lot and I got a little winded and then sometimes I made the mistake once where I wore uh my stylist had me wear a belt that was like up on my rib cage and I realized I couldn't take a deep breath I was like okay and so now we're gonna keep talking about this okay and oh it was it was rough
0: well I think it's also interesting just you know your story in general when I was kind of looking at it more because Knowing most of, like, like you and I both grew up in New York, and I would say your life is very um, un... I, well, I would say, actually, I'd make two different arguments. I would say it's, like, it's a New Yorker in the best way, but it's also very untraditional. Yeah. Like, how many... People how many, in New York can
1: drive, it, yeah, period. Let's start with that.
0: <laughs> um, but then just kind of, like, your whole progression. But I think, and now even understanding, like, you went to Stuyvesant, for people that are from New York, they understand, like, Stuyvesant is one of the most prestigious schools in, in the state. In the country, let's go. The country, yeah. And uh, I won't argue that. And then Stanford is obviously one of the most prestigious universities in, in the world. Um, for you, did you feel uh, at any point? I guess let's go just academically. Like knowing that you're doing something that's remarkably hard, um, and also remarkably special. I guess in just your kind of academic trajectory, strip away the race car right. side.
1: That's an interesting question because I think, um. I would say overall my family is quite competitive as well and my parents are two professionals and had lots of years of academia and um so it wasn't like we always had to get straight a's but we always had to work hard Mm -hmm. and because they understood like you know some people have different capacities some people will be able like my brother and sister got straight a's in a lot of their classes and i feel like i worked so much harder than they did and so it's just they understood that but they wanted us to work hard um and then i don't know i just i've all i also always wanted the best that i could get and Mm -hmm. i had very specific things and i think it's hard for me to not look at academia and racing together because part of also what was great was that i i knew that i didn't have to achieve certain grades to go do what i wanted to pursue professionally um so it wasn't like there was that pressure to there was pressure in high school to get good enough grades to get into the universities i wanted to. Um, but then once I was in university, it was like, well, I can just explore everything. I can do take all the classes that I want to take to grow how I want to grow as a person, knowing that I'm going to move to Charlotte, North Carolina and pursue a career in NASCAR.
0: Well, see, honestly, I think that even makes me respect you 10 times more because for anybody that's gone to school, knowing, I think a big driver in your motivation is feeling like it's going to set you up for something down the line. But you, like... I mean you technically could have dropped out early no
1: yeah no I definitely I didn't have to go to college mm-hmm. Um, but I also I guess I knew that I was not a complete person or anywhere near as complete or curious as I wanted to be I guess and so like I also knew that you know I didn't come from a family that was business oriented and I mm-hmm. knew that sponsorship and building a business yeah. was important for racing I don't have public figures in my family so just knowing how to um carry yourself or to create a fan base was something I knew I had to learn um so I didn't have to but I also knew that I was not the best that I could be and I knew I've been so driven to make racing happen at the highest levels that I will do what I have to to try to get there and especially at 18 19 20 it was like get better
0: (laughs) but racing aside what's your metric of you know understanding or knowing if you're where you need to be
1: that's a great question and it changes. Um, I don't besides a gut feeling, I I think it comes down to like if you want to do something and don't know how to apply your skills or feel like you don't have skills to to do it. Does that make sense? Like knowing oh you stumped me. That was a really good question. Um I don't know. I think, you know, part of being competitive is always feeling that like you can get more. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you don't even have to be that competitive to be that way if you right. want more. But and obviously, there's a healthy way to do that and maybe a less healthy way to do it. But what I'm learning is that, you know, parents definition of success or teachers definition mm-hmm. of success or fans definition of success are different. And I know that my definition of success has changed, especially as you know, if I haven't made it as far as I want in racing, let's say, and. You know, I used to define success as being paid to be a race car driver. Mm-hmm. And the reality is that that doesn't happen to a lot of race car mm-hmm. drivers. And so, like, I have two championships, I have a lot of wins, but I have never been paid to race. And most people mm-hmm. don't get paid until, like, the highest level of NASCAR or the second highest. Oh, wow. Yeah.
0: So, how does that work? It's kind of so a pay to play. So is it just sponsorship?
1: Sponsorship or personal funding. And okay. so, you know, there, there are a lot of companies involved in NASCAR, and especially at the top level, there's a lot of value in the exposure and the relationships with the teams. But it's very, very hard for an individual without a trust fund, without family business, mm-hmm. to actually get real third-party sponsorship. Oh, wow. And the reality, and it's always been an expensive sport, obviously. Right. But, you know, it's drivers have to figure out how to get funding to get through kind of the minor leagues.
0: And so what I did learn, I don't remember which interview this was. Actually, I do. It was with, um, he's a funny guy, uh, Jonathan Van Ness. Oh, yeah. A funny fella. Um, that was an exciting very, interview. Very, very entertaining. <laughs> yeah. I was entertained the whole time. Uh, you kind of like, well, explain. I learned because I didn't know this about uh, NASCAR because I don't follow that much. Um, Wait,
1: you don't watch NASCAR? I know, I know, I know, Juliet. As a, a New Yorker? No, but na-
0: <laughs> shocking, right? Right. Um, is that there's different tiers, and so will you just explain that really briefly yeah, for people who aren't yeah, familiar totally. with how that works, and then like where, like what tier you are in, or like how you move up, or how that yeah. works.
1: So if you think about um, most sports, they have the major leagues, minor leagues, mm-hmm. kind of grassroots levels, or getting into it. So with NASCAR specifically, you have NASCAR Cup Series, which is the top level. So when you think of Jeff Gordon, Jimmy Johnson, Danica Patrick, they were at a Cup level um the tier two is now called the nascar xfinity series okay yeah. and so I they race yeah they race slightly fewer races per year slightly shorter races the car is slightly different um all the specs are slightly different okay. they way to think about it is that cup races on sunday xfinity races on saturday not exclusively okay. but and then there's the nascar truck series which is the third right. from the top um which they are purpose-built race cars but they look like trucks right and that's um Like race on Friday. And then so those are the three national series. And then you have one branch underneath that is like the international series. So the Canadian NASCAR series, the Mexico NASCAR series and the European NASCAR series, which I've competed in two of those haven't competed in Mexico. Um, And that's it's not professional in the same way that those three national series are. Um, and it's much shorter races. And then you have, like, really the grassroots levels. You have what's called ARCA racing. You have um, late models. It's, like, all kinds of weekly series, basically. Sounds confusing. Yeah, it's just, like, you know, you keep climbing up, and it keeps getting more expensive. and, um, And so I had raced in, like, that last of the minor leagues in the u.s okay um and then i raced in the canadian series i in 2020 became the highest finishing american in the european nascar series which i'm really happy about there haven't been a ton of us racing over there but enough people have so that was really cool and then it's just been really hard to break into the top three series because you see a lot of drivers who are self-funded in some capacity whether that's family or business connection you know whatever that is um and then um yeah you see more kind of third party sponsorship in Xfinity and Cup
0: so so i'm just trying to understand the like does it come down to the different like minors and major league equivalents is it more a funding issue or more like a results issue
1: it depends who you ask you have some okay. cup series drivers who will say that the very talented racers will make it and I think if you ask all the very talented racers right. who are trying to make it, um, it, it definitely comes down to money. You need enough money to be able to even just get to the minor leagues that have no TV coverage, minimal ROI for any kind of sponsorship. Uh, okay. So you still need many wow. dollars for that. So it's just, it really either or you like you know you come from a racing family where they have right, the yeah. they have the equipment so you can do the local grassroots level stuff. Um, But it's hard for everyone. I mean, it's like teams have full teams of just salespeople to get sponsorship, right? And so um, what I've learned is that as an individual driver, it's hard for me to bring enough value just by myself without the team help. But then the teams want to know that I can bring funding. So it's like a weird chicken and egg problem.
0: Interesting. So then how do you, so like first, I guess my first question is, what does funding look like to be in like that top tier of uh, like what What kind of dollars are we talking about?
1: The very top level you're looking at, they've just restructured and like trying to change the car and change some rules, but roughly to be competitive, like it's at least $10 million a year. Yeah, it's a lot of money, it's a lot of money. Yeah. Um, but it's out there um, <laughs> for some people <laughs> and, um, and then it trickles down from there. Um, and so, you know, for me, a lot of my, you know, since I graduated, A lot of my time has been spent pitching companies for sponsorship. And I was very green when I started. So, Mm. like, learning the do's and don'ts of that and the ups and downs. and But then also, you know, pure sponsorship I found was really difficult to be attractive. And so learning how to leverage other parts of my brand, Mm. like like my speaking ability or, like, you know, content partnerships with different companies. Like I did um, something for Shell where they have an eco um uh eco marathon i think it's no i'm totally blanking on the name now but it was um an eco challenge for universities to build um non-gas using motors and they raced over in england and it was a competition and um like i hosted um video content for that so figuring out creative ways to get funding to go racing if the sponsorship itself isn't a good enough sell um yeah
0: and do you feel? like... Oh, I like, know. That's how I feel about it too. Oof. I mean, I just feel. I just think. <laughs> f- I think it's because because what I think I also struggle to gauge as well is, and that's why I think NASCAR and just I guess race car driving in general is such a fascinating sport is because everybody can, dr- everybody thinks they can drive, but then race car driving is a whole other beast, and like, and we'll talk about more of like the specifics mm-hmm. in a second. Um, but it's like. What i try what i want to better understand is what makes the best like the the number one ranked nascar driver in the world what's the difference between that person and the 100th best
1: right no it's a great question and quick little side note is that i was talking about nascar costs like all racing is expensive yes, right so like yeah. formula one's the same way just more expensive I imagine and yeah more expensive. so I think that's a great question. There are so many different styles of drivers. So part of it, you know, I think of just innate ability to drive the machine on the edge and to have that feel of what's on mm. what's on the okay. edge, ma- totally maximizing the car. It's also about communication and how clearly you can articulate what's going on with the car under very specific circumstances so that you can report that back to your engineer or your crew chief who can then make a change. So on the driver's side, it's innate talent. It's the ability to communicate. It's the ability to, so that's driving well, and then also racing well, which is, you know, if there's a little opening, do you go for it or not? Like that gut instinct, the ability to gauge that, the ability to stay perfect and consistent and hit your marks perfectly for as long as you can dealing with the car falling off as the tires get worn. Um, but then also the team side. It very much is a team sport because the engineer or the crew chief has to make the right calls. Um, you know, the mechanics have to do a great pit stop. Um, and so it it varies. And, like, Jimmy Johnson won seven championships, and it was some combination of incredible chemistry with mm-hmm. his crew chief and his ability to drive the car really well and to race really well. And... Um, So it's a lot of little factors.
0: Right. And in those races at like the, like the top, like the Jimmy Johnson's, what's the difference car wise between like his car, let's say, and the, and the individual that finishes last?
1: Yeah. So I don't have specifics. I don't know how those teams operate, but basically a lot of it comes down to budget. If you have the budget, you can have the newest equipment, you can have, you know, you can buy a bunch of motors and check which one happens to be the strongest. Because they're all spec, okay. but there's always a difference in spec. Right. Like, you know, on the dyno, the um, the power range or the power band might just be a little different on one motor. Um, it's the ability to hire the best talent um, to be able to set up the cars right. and to work on the cars and to motivate the people. Um and then it also comes down to you know drivers have a spotter so someone who stands right. in the top of the grandstands helps helps you not hit anything yeah. um and conveys information to you and we have a lot of blind spots so they help with that but like a really great spotter can make a big difference right so um a lot of it comes down to budget
0: i was literally thinking while i was also driving today i was like do you ever check your mirrors when you're do you guys have mirrors on on the cars oh yeah so it's like but like I feel like you don't even have time to check your mirrors
1: so it's Interesting. It partially depends if you're on an oval or oh, road right. okay. a road course. road course goes left and right. Oval is an oval. Um, and it also depends on the size of the oval. Sometimes there are really small ovals where everything's happening so quickly that you just rely on your spotter. Yeah. Um, but you should, like, you. we all glance in our mirrors, and... Okay. But what you don't the want...
0: The side to, ones or all of them?
1: Different drivers have different preferences. I like mirrors on both sides okay. and my rear view. Oops. <laughs> and um, I... I just like having all the information, even if I don't necessarily use it. Um, But then you don't want to like, I think the biggest thing for mirrors, like when you're leading a race or, you know, in a battle and you're in front, like you never want to like keep looking in your mirrors to see where the guy behind you is or girl behind you because you're less likely to hit your perfect line if you're constantly checking what they're doing. And so sometimes spotters will say like, don't, don't drive through your mirror, like look, look in front, like focus on your line. Oh, yeah. Are you exhausted yet? Like, no, so I, I mean, I'm just on. honestly, like,
0: just thinking about it, just because you're going at yeah, rapid speeds. You're doing all of this going it so just, fast. It just makes me tired. And and then also what I... So I don't want to spoil for the people that haven't listened to previous podcasts of yours that you've appeared on, Um, is it gets real hot in there. It gets real hot in there. It's like a little yeah. sauna.
1: Yeah. So if you think about your car when you... Or in the summer, and you open it up after and it's been sitting outside that, all day. Yeah. yeah, it's really hot because the motor's right up front. We don't have air conditioning. Some Sometimes Why we have some have cool. Air conditioning? Well, they're like... not gonna put it on the car. One, because I think it wouldn't be super effective, but two, it's added weight that you don't need. Oh. Yeah. Right. So there are different systems. Like there are cooling systems. Either you can have like a tube from the helmet that goes to the outside, so at least you get fresh air. Sometimes you, you can pump in cold air. Some people wear cool wow. suits, which is like um, we have fire resistant. Oh, like right. shirts and pants that we wear under the suit, and they have like little wires that just shoot ice water through it. I've never used one of those, but it seems fancy. Why
0: wouldn't you? As expensive.
1: Well, I just I also haven't needed high.
0: it. Yeah. So I. I Sorry. Heard, yeah. So let me. Just... I heard it gets about 150 degrees. What you said. Yeah.
1: So in the summer. Yeah. You, it can be 100. And I think th- they've clocked 155 in one oh. of the cup cars. Yeah, because the motor's just right there. So it's just heat training is super important.
0: And there's no benefit, this might be really stupid, there's no benefit to having, like, your window cracked a little bit? Well, the window's open. Oh, I know We that. don't have a window. There's a net there, so we don't tumble out
1: or stuff right. doesn't come in. But um, you're going so fast that it's just, oh, it's wow. basically, like, it's not there. So there, there are the cooling methods, though. Like, people get air to okay. their helmet and everything, but the more stuff you put in the car, the more weight that's there. And if you're trying to win
0: races. Have you ever felt like you were going to, like, pass out?
1: yeah i've had a couple of really hard races so but so one of them was we were racing at sonoma raceway which is in right. napa or it's in sonoma um in northern california but you don't That's think of nice. north it's beautiful but you don't think of northern california as getting super hot but yeah. inland a little bit where the racetrack is it gets really hot and we were racing and on the green flag it should have been like an hour and 15 hour and 30 minute race on the green flag, my teammates decided to crash into each other, and they totally blocked the front straightaway. So the front straightaway was one of the narrowest parts, and they just there was wreckage everywhere and carnage everywhere. They so crashed? They, they crashed into each other on the start. Your teammates together? Yes. Come on. I know. Oh. But what was so annoying about it was that in order to clean up, they didn't let us go back into the pits because the race had technically started. Oh, okay. So they red flagged the race, and we had to sit in our cars for 45 minutes oh my in God. the sun, oh, while they cleaned up oh, and we can't get out of our cars. Oh. And so we have our water bottles, which are filled for the duration of a race. And, um, and then we had to go race and it was like, so it was like two and a half hours in the car boiling. Oh, and it was, crazy. and it was a track where it's a road course and there's kind of like off camber corner. So it's a very physical track. And I was
0: exhausted. Oh, yeah. I would be, I, was, I can't even imagine.
1: I was so spent, and like it took hours for my face to cool down
0: afterwards. I slept well that night, though.
1: It wasn't a really good race, so I didn't sleep uh, very well. <laughs> you,
0: so. You were, you. <laughs>
1: so to add insult to injury, I then <laughs> spun by myself and ruined a, bad, a good race. But
0: so I don't want to. I don't want to beat. I don't want to beat the question because I know you've been asked it a million times. But obviously, I think. It's it's super important to talk about. So you've been at, at least from the interviews that I've that I've listened to, you you get asked quite frequently. It appears to me, what is it like being a woman in NASCAR? Mm-hmm. Okay, I won't ask you that question. Okay, but first, for people like that have no idea that are dummies about NASCAR race driving, race car driving in general, how many professional women are in NASCAR?
1: There are none at the highest level. Right okay. now, Danica was the only was one Danica. in recent history who had made. It. She's the only. There have been a handful in Xfinity and in trucks. Okay. And, um, but in the you know getting paid to go racing, there aren't any anymore. And you spoke,
0: did, did, Do you know Danica?
1: I have met her a couple times. She's nice. She wasn't uh, mean okay. to me. She wasn't mean to me. Okay. Um, but and there have been a handful in IndyCar since since she was okay. there. Um, none full time um there are none in formula one there never have been um sports cars have more women at the top which okay. is a totally different breakdown which quite frankly i'm not super well versed in because i've never okay. raced sports cars okay. but i'm an outsider in that world um so there are not a lot you see more at the grassroots level but they just really are not like we i've had some races where there are three women in the field out of like 20 something It was like oh my god yeah, this is like amazing a... like
0: history is being made so generally when you race it's You're the only woman for the Yeah,
1: there might be one other one. But um for the most part it's been just me.
0: And have you noticed since you were younger the transform like a little bit of an increase? It's better.
1: Yeah, it's definitely better now. Um and as I was saying, you see more in the kind of grassroots minor leagues. Um and you're seeing more and more kind of inch their way closer to the national series. Um but it's not just the drivers either. It's like all the crews are mostly men like all the mechanics are mostly men except for a handful there's no crew chief so like lead engineer in nascar that's a woman there's one car chief which is a little different um but in terms of the person calling the shots on race day there are no women who do that um it's same in formula one similar in indycar and why
0: why do you think that is
1: so i think everyone has a different experience i mean it's not necessarily like the most fun community to like yeah. be a woman and it's not bad all the time and I think overall I can't imagine. but also I mean it comes down to you know everything from you know this from the early ages like you know if we're talking about drivers you know parents have resources to put one kid in racing right. They're gonna probably just assume that the boy wants to go racing. Okay. Um, You know, and I think, I really believe, I think Gina Davis said, if she can see it, she can be it. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you don't see any women going racing, you don't think that you can do it. And, you know, I was, when I was, oh, how old was I, 23 when I won my second championship, and that was in a stock car, so NASCAR sanctioned racing. Okay. And the first time, first race I won that season, this like 12 year old girl came up in Victory Lane and was like, i didn't even know that women could race wow. it's like she's 12 like we're in 2015 now like there have been women racers but mm-hmm. there's just so little visibility and then there's all the schooling for more of the engineering side i mean it's okay. um you know all the there are so many studies that show why women don't necessarily continue on the technical right. fields in mm-hmm. school um also the lifestyle is quite demanding i mean nascar races 36 weekends a year Um, yeah, and it's, like, you're on the road weekend after weekend from, like, Wednesday or Thursday through Sunday, and, um, lifestyle-wise, I think that's harder, um, culturally. I mean, I think there's so many reasons.
0: Is, was there ever, um, a moment, I guess, in, in your life in general, where you felt like that could have dissuaded you from going into this altogether? Um, that's a good question. Not really, because I started so young, like, mm-hmm.
1: at 10. Um, I was always used to being the only girl. Did
0: you like that? Like, that it was kind of cool. Like, you were—I mean, that's also mm-hmm. cool. I'm just thinking about, like, as a New Yorker, too. Yeah, yeah, Just yeah. the New York mentality. Like, you're doing something that you know, like, you're literally, like, yeah. the, only, you yeah. know, the only girl there.
1: It was always cool. I always enjoyed, like, you know, showing that girls could win, mm-hmm. that, you know— that people could like working with me, like right. radical concept. Yeah. Um, well, I, and I had teams that I joined, like, kind of after college where you could tell that they were not excited to work with a woman because of any either preconceived notions or um, stereotypes that they projected. And it's like, oh, she can shoot the shit with us. This yeah. is fun. Or she yeah. gives us a hard time. This is great. Yeah. Like, it was proving that you could enjoy working with a woman, um, which was, that was weird. Um, but I don't know. I didn't, I didn't really think a whole lot about it. Because like socially during my, you know, puberty years I feel like I had cooties, they had cooties, yeah. like um everybody had
0: cooties. Everyone
1: had cooties. And especially the drivers meeting is like I oh, didn't yeah. always have friends to sit with yeah. but but after that, like, I got a great coach in go-karts who he had – he fully believed in me when no one mm-hmm. else would. Like,
0: no teams would sign
1: me when I was 12 or 13. My parents tried to get us Is that us a on. normal
0: thing that people, people get signed at 12 and 13?
1: For go-karting, you want to join a team that has the resources. Like, they have spare parts. They have all this stuff. Okay. And I had just won the local championship. And I didn't learn this until years later. But my parents started calling all these teams to see, like, hey, can we, can we pay um, you to have our daughter there to – be on your team I said no like nah. and so I had this one guy who's like I see her talent like let's go kick their butts and we did so that was really wow. cool and I always had that kind of vote of confidence and my parents have always been incredible um and then I just got you know like cocky enough that it was yeah. like you know what they might not want me to hear it and it's okay and I haven't had a terrible experience by any means like I think good. I, I work hard to integrate myself with the right. team and show that we're all there to try to win. Like no one wants to work this hard to putz around in last place. Um, and I take it very seriously and I have fun with the team. So that's good. And then I think there have always been some competitors who will race me harder. And that was something right. a coach pointed out. Yeah, that, you know, they had never seen people block so much or move me out of the way when I when they couldn't pass me cleanly. And it was something that I was so used to mm. throughout all my years of racing. So when they said it was clearly more aggressive, right. I was like, oh, ah, yeah. each pass I make is that much
0: more impressive. <laughs> yeah. So, and, um, and you think it's just because they wanted to not get beat by the girl? I
1: think so. Or parents pressured them oh. to not get beat by their girl. I don't know if you heard this story, but um, there was one race apparently one year where I was in fourth. This 18-year-old guy was in third. I was a little faster, but I was struggling to pass him. Like He was good at defense and um, we were racing and apparently it was a road course and so when we were on the far side all the spotters could hear each other in a way that you can't normally hear on an oval okay. and so my spotter heard this kid's dad stay into the radio like don't let that bitch pass you do not let that bitch get by you so and he was like oh my god like he's being so aggressive. you were old at that point? <laughs> oh I was in my 20s at that okay, point and, and I didn't hear it it was yeah. my coach that heard it but my coach was like oh my god like he's being so aggressive and for me it's like Okay, so this kid's 18 years old, and he's getting the confirmation from his dad that all women who are competitive yeah. are bitches,
0: right? And so, like, that's the cycle, right? That continues. So, in a weird way, did that does that kind of like fuel you or em- empower? Might not be the right word, but at least to like you're you are ha- you are having an effect, and I think like yeah. even the story that you told about like the 12-year-old girl that went up to you after you won that race, yeah. like, you're having an effect there. And here you're having an effect where, I mean, obviously this is like a very, it's not a pleasant thing to hear, but that you're showing the world that there is different ways of doing things than have been traditionally done and new opportunities for women. So I think like in that way that that's got to be empowering, I hope.
1: It's cool. Yeah, it's cool. What I've learned is that there are going to be people who are open to knowing that right. the world's bigger than the way they see it and then there are plenty of yeah. people who are not. Yeah. And so if it can have a positive effect, that's great. Right. And what was cool was like, you know, my team at that point, they had never worked with a racer who was a woman and so they had never seen that. And I think when they saw that with their own eyes or heard it from my spot or right. my coach, they were like, oh shit, this is this is a something that i was not aware of right. and because you know we had this personal relationship it was something they wanted to i don't want to say be educated on but like learn more about maybe how that applies to other parts of their lives cuz a lot of them had daughters and i was mm. like ah you know if someone's talking about julia like that are they going to talk about my kid like that right. and i think that was it was really cool and it you know but then there are people who just don't give a shit and don't want to learn and then it's just beating your head against a
0: wall right. And as much as like i mean do you ever get kind of sick of being asked about like like of having the the gender conversation brought up in when it comes to racing like just people just to talk, like would you rather they just talk about who you are as a race car driver or that like because i'm sure you've yeah. heard it a million times in a million different ways yeah
1: well and I have a kind of split answer for that.
0: I always I would prefer to be known as a great race
1: car driver, not a great female race car right. driver. But because there are so few women race cars drivers out there, I also think it's important to right. point to have the conversations. Right. And like I just remember um, and I'll, I'll preface this by saying there's obviously no right way to be a minority in any industry field, whatever. Um, and like. You know, Danica had made the decision not really to talk about anything related to her gender, and that's her prerogative. That's mm-hmm. fine. Um but when she as she but when she had announced her retirement, she did talk about specific things more. And I was like, oh, shit, that's what I went through too. Yeah. And I know other younger women because she's about ten years older than me. And like even you know women who are younger than me were like, yeah, like, I don't feel like such an outsider knowing that she also went through that as the most powerful woman in racing at the time. So I think it's important. and until we see more women, it's, like, clearly we need to try to discuss. And I think at the end of the day also, like, a lot of these people who are working in racing, like, this is their job. They, this is how they yeah. pay their bills. They need to do something. Um, and upsetting the status quo can potentially have a negative side effect for each individual. So I get that it's not just, like, making it better right. for women. It's it's a very complex – I'm learning just how complex right. it is.
0: Yeah, I mean, the whole – even in just this 30 minutes talking to you, it's, it's a very uh... – it's a very interesting kind of world that you're in, you know? Cuz I feel like also I might be making a a mass generalization, but I feel like a lot of them might not have the academic background that you have or um like I don't know I th- I think it's just uh it's it's just it's a breath of fresh air, you know?
1: Yeah, and it's funny you say that because like I th- I think there have been some great things about being a woman in racing, and there have clearly been some obstacles, right. um, both on the racing side and the financial side, on the support side. Um, but I, being in NASCAR, I almost feel like sometimes being a New Yorker and having gone to Stanford was like a bigger thing. Because yeah. people, like, I know that people thought I was super pretentious until they met me. Right. Like, my team, <laughs> my team, my team members have told me as much, and it's like... I know, I have these labels that people don't know what to do with or don't have it's any how personal. You go to Stanford. Ex- Ugh, yeah. <laughs> no, I love Stanford so <laughs> much. Sure. It was it was fantastic. <laughs> but but you know and you know, people being making judgments and making generalizations is important. It's a defense mechanism. It's the way, mm. you know, we get through life. And if we didn't judge people, we could put ourselves in bad situations or we could That's interesting. But you know, if you just have limited knowledge about groups of people, or you're making these judgments based on limited education or limited experience with people, then it's not necessarily going to be a good judgment, right? Mm. So it's like kind of fighting human nature with what information you have. And I was definitely an outsider in that way. Luckily, again, was able to prove pretty quickly that I was cool and still a racer. But um, I was really surprised when I left college as to like, how snooty a lot of people thought I would be.
0: Do you for like? And I think the judgment thing is pretty interesting. Um, like, how does one? How does one person get the right, the right amount of judgment?
1: Oh, that's a great question. I, I have no I'm idea. not because sure. I think you're
0: right. Like, I think everybody naturally is going to judge. Period. I mean, I think it's just like a human instinct. Like, yeah. right when you see someone, you're immediately you're making doing judgments. You're doing whatever you're doing, but then I agree. I think like the kinder individuals are gonna try to like mold those judgments in an open-minded way is maybe the best way i can formulate it but i'm curious what to, yeah what i you would think.
1: assume it comes down to open-mindedness open-mindedness or growth mindset versus mm. fixed mindset or curiosity or interest in the world um i think you know because i make judgments about people all the time and all i right. think okay I, you, you take that next step it's right. like is this fair is there something that i can still learn from this person like taking it that next step. Um, and I think it varies. I think there are some situations where your immediate judgment will probably serve you. And then there's some where you should be more flexible. Um, but I don't know. And I think also maybe it depends on the personality type, right? Like if you're, um, if you're someone who's more easily swayed by other people's opinions, then you probably should be a little more judgy to make sure you're letting the right people in. Right. Whereas if you're a little more I don't want to say confident necessarily but like strong in your beliefs and not going to be as swayed by other people maybe you can be less judgy yeah I don't know it's a great question
0: and now we're just going to take a quick break to talk to you about my longtime sponsor in U.S. Wellness Meats at uswellnessmeats.com you can choose from over 350 foods raised the way nature intended that includes 100% grass-fed and grass finished beef lamb bison elk and dairy. They also have pasture-raised heritage pork, wild-caught seafood, and pasture-raised poultry. These are some of the host of foods that you can find at uswellnessmeats.com where the owners are the actual farmers themselves. And now they've introduced a subscription food delivery service and curated sample. Now let's get back into it. How do you, for for yourself, I guess, as you've, um, you know, progressed over the years and found success, have you been able to kind of vet who who's there for the right reasons?
1: You limit how much time you spend with anybody yeah. <laughs> and just like stay yeah. at home a lot. That's true. Um, no, I mean, it's trial and error. I think I think my parents helped all my siblings and I try to be. Decent gauges. you like you have
0: very good parents.
1: Yeah, they're super intense. <laughs> they're great. Yeah, though. but uh, you but know, I could I could, I
0: could, I could get the intense vibe. Right. Watch that. the
1: first TEDx talk. You'll see why. Um,
0: why one of them is really
1: Yeah, intense. yeah.
0: Watch. It. I remember he, he. Oh, Papa Land. Oh,
1: Papa lands, Yeah. Yep. Um, but no, they're they're really great. I'm quite lucky.
0: Because also, like, I don't know a lot of New. I have all my friends are from New York. I don't know how many of them. If they were crazy enough to say, hey, mom, dad, I want to go into NASCAR. I want to, you know, they would have been like, okay.
1: Oh, to you be know? fair, I think my dad wanted to race when he was little and wasn't allowed uh, so, to. They're uh, not from New York originally, so they're from New Jersey,
0: so right, th- little, right there. But so there's a little something. The, the parents, they live something. vicariously through a... Yeah, a little bit of no, that. Uh,
1: but also being super supportive. Yeah, right. no. So back to your question about letting people in. Um, I'm quite guarded and quite... Um, skeptical of people and so i think but you can prove me wrong easily like i give people the chance but i don't Mm. assume i'm gonna be close with people right away
0: why are you why do you think you're guarded initially
1: Mm. i don't like my time wasted is that super Mm. bad to say but you know like there are some there are things where i should say it differently though like guarded Guard is not quite the right word. I think it's more like, I don't necessarily assume I'm going to be besties with people that I meet and I want to learn like kind of what their background is, what their motivations are and everything. Cause I really do believe that the people you interact with the most become like mirrors you become mirrors of right, what you see. Right. And so I've learned like, it's just really important to be with cool people, not necessarily, you know, people who are always smarter than you or, you know, but people who elevate you in some way um whether it's creatively whether it's intelligence whether it's just like getting out of your comfort zone um and yeah I don't think I really answered your question does it take a
0: lot to like what is your metric on how you will finally be convinced or is it just like a gut feeling
1: I think it's a gut feeling like did I enjoy hanging out with them did I feel like we were contributing to each other's Mm. lives and I'm thinking of this more in like a social context like on a professional context it's a little different. different you know there's you know, everyone's trying to get something. You, it needs to be a mutually beneficial um, relationship. But on a personal level, it's like, do I want to leave my comfy pants with my glass of wine to go mm. hang out with you? I feel like that's a great gauge that's for a, me. That is. That's I a love, really good measuring I love stick. being at home with our good wine. And,
0: Are there a lot of know, people that will motivate you to get out of here? Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah. Were you – and as a – like, what were you like as a little –
1: High schooler,
0: walking yeah. the streets of New York.
1: I loved Very it. Similarly. Um, I was I was pretty insecure in middle school socially. Mm. I found that the New York City private school scene was a little rough for me. Why? How so? Just uh, there were there was a lot of nastiness. I mean, mm. I think there was just it was, and maybe this was my personal experience. Maybe I was too sensitive or super sensitive to it, but I just did not have a great time in middle school. Um, and racing was also such a great escape. I had started cars when I was in uh, middle school. It's like, Oh my God, I have so much more fun here. Yeah. I don't feel threatened by the people around me. Like, let me, um, let me p- pursue this. Let me leave school as much as I can yeah. to go racing. Um, and then I switched to sty and I felt so much more comfortable, but I also realized I had to break out of my shell. I think I had gone, become so closed because I was so uncomfortable socially. Mm. Um, and then once I got to sty and people were super cool and you know it it seemed a lot less superficial to me than Mm. the private school was um and people were nerdy and like excited by like more interesting things and sorry to anyone who really enjoyed private school it's fine it's like to each their own but it it took it took the four years of high school to feel like i could be more outgoing and then my mom and I talk about this. When I got to college, I like told her I want to be known as someone who is high energy, vivacious, like mm-hmm. makes people feel good about themselves. That was a conscious decision that I made.
0: Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I'm only smiling because when I so I went to I went to public school my whole life mm-hmm. in the New York City system. And us public schoolers were always like, fuck the private school. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, know, yeah. you guys pay a bajillion dollars and you're not that smart, and you know, like that was kind of like the mentality it was always like us versus them. Now, granted, I did have a few friends that that went to private school, but it's just interesting um, to hear because you know, for people who are from New York, understanding like our high schools were very well geographically fairly close, but also kind of um, you know, your school is a little bit better, but but my but, was great too. yeah, my school is it was decent, um, but I think it's just interesting to hear kind of uh, you know that experience because. Man, your parents must feel like they wasted a little bit of money now. Well, in a uh, ways you did you did learn a lot, no? Well,
1: I learned a lot, yeah. But I think once they realized like, oh wow, there are these other grade schools. Yeah. And um and again, it was really good for a while. And um and like I had I have friends who didn't feel didn't really give a shit about yeah. the other girls, let's say, and just kind of did their own thing and they thrived there. Right. And so there's something about my personality, you know, the personalities that were in my grade. Um I just didn't love it. I had Mean Girls on my bus stop. Like it was oh. just like I had to be with them all the time. You had a time. you had a bus. Oh yeah, we take a school bus
0: from the Upper West Side up to Riverdale. Oh my. Oh wait. So so et, so what's the the private school called?
1: Ethical Culture e- Fieldston.
0: Cu- oh, okay, oh, I feel like it, I've heard it of, of Fieldston. Yeah. They had so a good it's tennis in, team. No.
1: Oh, I don't know.
0: Oh, I, I think I. <laughs> I don't once. know, but um. It's oh, so one of the hill schools. So it's okay.
1: Horace Mann, yeah. Riverdale oh, Horace Mann. and Fieldston are all up okay. there.
0: Interesting. So you take a school bus every day. I took the school bus. With mean girls. So, with
1: the mean girls. And like for me, that was the other thing. Like to be thirteen years old and it's like I live in Manhattan. Yeah. And I am <laughs> like busing up to the suburbs basically yeah. to go to school. Like it just I was just like I wanna be in the city too. Right. And, and
0: there's some other private schools in the city, some good ones. Yeah, there
1: are. Um I think, I think I think once my parents were like, oh, there are specialized public high schools where we don't have to pay anything and you can get a great education. Shoo shoo. And um, like, obviously, it's interesting reading about all of the... Politics around the public the specialized public high yeah. schools, and I hope they don't take away the test I'll be the first to say oh, that Oh, really. Yeah, oh, this is good. This is a hot take. Oh, yeah, hot take Wait,
0: so why cuz well, I like, let's,
1: let's debrief for a little bit So debrief. to get into a specialized public high school, which yes. I don't know there are eight now ten I don't know how many there are I think there's eight Um, There's one test that you take and I'm gonna like, interrupt you real quick interrupt. Just so
0: so the people that don't live in New York City that understand true, true. it's basically divided between these eight specialized high schools that all, as Julia was about to say, and I rudely interrupted her, uh, you take one standardized test, and then there's the rest of the public schools that are...
1: By zone. So also by, you can be anywhere in the city. By zone or
0: application. Like Beacon, for example, the oh, school that okay. I went to, was like portfolio-based, and then you interview, and it didn't matter where you lived. Got um it. And they try to, you know, be somewhat, uh, and they try to be diverse, geographically mm-hmm. speaking, mm-hmm. but there is no restriction on the, the zoning, apparently. Um so then I'll so I don't let you take it away.
1: No, that's okay. Um, So it's based on one test, and I think my year, like, 23,000 kids took the test. It's, like, it's a stupid number of kids because it's a, you know, it's a free education that's great, and it's, yeah. and it's just test-based. And so um, it's not perfect by any means because, obviously, p- families that have more resources who can mm-hmm. tutor for it, myself included. Mm-hmm. Like, I had a tutor, that, or I went to tutoring class, um, or, you know, families that start prepping their kids at age two for it. Yeah and the big critique right or let me backtrack so this big test it's just one score is a cutoff for Stuy, one score is cut off for bronx and all the other schools um and i guess the controversy around it i mean they're diverse but it, i think Stuy, when i was there was like 70 percent asian 20 percent white and then mixed for the other so there's a it's low low percentage of black latino hispanic um i apologize if i'm missing a group but that's the big thing and so Is the system perfect? Not at all. But I think instead of trying to change the system to get into school, change the education policies for middle school and Mm. why aren't the middle schools helping to prep these kids more? And I say that not having not being fully educated on it, but I don't see how you can have a. A test that. I'm going to pause. I'm going to let you interject
0: a little no, bit. No, I'm. I- well, this is why I'm super happy to, like, this is awesome for me because I, I think that I, because I think we're looking at it from two different ways. Mm. That's why I think this is an interesting debate because I have one of my dear family friends. She's like huge up. Shout out to Natalie. She's huge up on uh, like she, public school, like the whole New York public school mm-hmm. system. I don't know exactly what, what she does, like, precisely. Mm-hmm. But she's, like, very involved. She has been for, like, 30 years. Um, so she she would, like, argument all this stuff way better. And funny enough, she went to Stuyvesant and her daughter went to Stuyvesant. Okay. Um, and so, no, what what I've heard from this argument is that, yes, you made the, the very valid point that um, – for people that have the resources to have private tutoring, it definitely skews and favors them 1,000%. That's without a doubt. Um, so that would be – I think that's the main argument, and I actually think that – And it's a valid one. I, and I think that's I, – I 100% agree that that is um, – I don't think that that's – I don't like how much of an effect your financial situation has on determining whether or not you're going to do well on an exam that carries so much weight. I think that's the first thing. And I think also in showing that, like, Stuyvesant, and this is me just bashing Stuyvesant, is just, like, being 70% of anything. And then 20% and then 10%. It's just not very diverse. Yeah. At least on numerically speaking.
1: Yeah. But then I would also argue that a lot of that 70% also is not high income. A lot of that is also low. Yes. But again... We're generalizing. We're, general, we're generalizing we're generalizing here, but, and we don't know but it's um i think the i mean I, I think that there it's not a perfect system by any means i think i think that the root of the issue is not the test i think the root of the issue is the middle schools and the elementary schools and the limited resources that they have yes. and the limited you know limited flexibility of teachers and all of that. And it's like, why don't we also address those issues? Or, you know, if, if they wanted to make it more accessible, like all public middle schools in New York should have an option to have or have some component that's helping for this test.
0: Right. Okay. So this is the other thing that was that my argument that I forgot to, to say. I think also, so my school actually Beacon got hammered in the news when I was there in the New York Times once because um, for lack of diversity. Mm -hmm. Now, believe it or not, Beacon is actually more diverse than like 80% of the public schools in New York City, but whatever. That was the article. And so I was very close to the admissions director because I used to play tennis. And he, and I had this conversation with him. I'm like, what do you think about this New York Times article? And he was like, look, what I think is what we try to do is to get the... The racial breakdown of New York City is, I don't have it on, I don't have right, it in front right. of me, but it's whatever it is. And what Beacon is trying to do, and 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 he had, he acknowledged that they weren't perfect in, in right, being there at right. that point in time, but to try to represent New York City as best as they can in every single school. So if it's 2020, 2020, or whatever it is, right. to really try to make sure that all of these schools are more representative of yeah. this Beautifully diverse city that we live in yeah, and so that's where I think that like these tests um, Really don't help that at all and I do agree though that like if in in middle schools like there was like I don't know like a whole class devoted to this um, Prep for this exam right or whatever that is, but I do think at the same time like a lot of these schools that um, are more you know Less white yeah, they don't have and it's just, it's just the fact they don't have the funding to do to have yeah. programs like that. Right. Or they don't have um, the resources to to take time out of their day to 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 provide that. And also, I think, like, for me, just even thinking about it, like, would you really want to have a class every day where it's like prepping you for one exam on that one day for, but for I think like you high could school? argue that about
1: other classes, too. Like, do you really want to go hang out in math class okay, that's today. Fair.
0: OK, but that's OK. But but then like but then it all comes down to that one exam. I think you can only take it once, if I, rem- if I will remember. No, you can take it twice. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. You, can take, you it- take it twice.
1: incoming freshman, incoming sophomore. Okay, so you know more than I do.
0: I don't know. I think it's an interesting debate, though. I, I That's mean, why yeah, I'm happy Yeah, I know. It's an
1: interesting debate, and I also, like— And maybe this is obnoxious of me, but, you know, I think— How do I articulate this? That you— Hmm. I'm going to hold that thought. I'm
0: going to hold okay. it. I'm 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 not going to All right, enough do of this public stuff. school anyway. talk. I want to know more <laughs> yeah. about you. Um career-wise. Now, I don't know as I told you, I'm not I don't know that much about NASCAR. What is the like what's considered like an old NASCAR driver?
1: Um 40s.
0: Okay, so they yeah, go like Yeah, like
1: Jeff Gordon retired at I want to say
0: 43, 44 or something like that. And he was considered old at that point in time? Yeah, older. And what is it about So the physicality, I think, is something that's not talked about enough. Um, And, you know, to like the amateur novice like myself, actually, I understand a little bit more when it comes to the physicality just because I've researched it a little bit. But will you just explain like how physically demanding because people think like, oh, it's just driving. Yeah. But like there's a whole I mean, other than 150 degrees in the car, there's a whole host of
1: Physically. Yeah. So just imagine you're, you know, extremely six point harness, uh, tightly strapped into the seat. You're muscling around thirty four hundred pounds. It's there is um power steering, but it's still.
0: Sorry to interrupt yeah. you. What's the average weight of like a regular car? do You know. Oh,
1: that's a great question. Um, like what's
0: like, just so I know, so I can gauge how heavy. I want to say twenty five hundred
1: pounds to three. Oh, uh, so
0: it's like fifty percent heavier. It yeah,
1: it's a heavy car. It's a heavy,
0: it's a, it's a heavy. it depends.
1: It depends on the series because like the Euro one was twenty seven hundred pounds and okay. Um,
0: well, your but think 3, about like a
1: heavier Toyota Camry. I want to say. But you, I say that, and I I just don't really know. <laughs> like I'm yeah. not a big car person. I'm okay. a big race car person. Yeah. But um, but it's like think of just maybe like a Mustang. I don't know. Okay, I'm, okay. I'm trying to think. It's like but think of your it's car heavy. and and you your your neck and shoulder strength has to be incredible because for those of you not watching like my arms are out but it's um you know your the steering wheel is far away from you and you're having to fight the g-forces and you're doing this for hours on end mm. and then you have to have a good core strength because we have like seat belts that are i mean the seats that are made to us but we're still fighting the g forces and so having to like kind of brace ourselves in and You're doing this for hours and so on top of that you have all the mental stuff so you have to be aware of what your car is doing how it's fading if it's not handling properly the other people around you trying to pass them trying to not get past so the physical mental combination is just exhausting and it's really hot in the car and your neck has to be super strong and um
0: yeah where do you feel it most at the end of a race
1: um Probably most in, like, my neck, shoulder area. Just because of the
0: tension of just, like, steering all the time? Yeah,
1: you're steering, um, especially if it's a smaller oval and there's just a lot more movement and less straightaway to take a deep breath. Mm. Also, like, like outer glutes are pretty tight afterwards because of the gas and the brake, and you're doing really hard on either one and, like, still having to brace yourself in the seat. Um, And so to your point about age, I think there just comes a point where... One, your, if your reflexes slow down because reflexes are another part of it, right. but then also, um, you know, just you get sore more easily. And now it's also like, does the, is the sponsorship going to keep you going? So it's a multi-part mm. um, okay. issue.
0: And just on the physical side, so is it like, is the gas and brake like in a regular car?
1: So think if it's a, yeah, the gas is on the right, the brake is in the middle, but then we also have the clutch on the left side and we have a dead pedal like that we can brace ourselves on. Okay,
0: But so you drive it differently, you use both feet?
1: I left foot brake, yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, it depends on the car, it depends on the transmission. There are some cars where you still need to hit the right foot brake and put the clutch in, but not at the higher levels. Okay. At the higher levels, you use the clutch to get out of first gear. Um, and then I left foot brake, yeah. But then in a car on the street, I don't, I right foot brake.
0: Gotcha, okay, well, hold on, just give me a second, just, oh, okay, gotcha. Josh just gave me a, the the signal. I didn't know what he was saying. <laughs> no bro. Also, I'm just
1: so impressed. I feel like you've sat still this whole interview, and I'm oh, really? like moving around I with thought bad I posture. I thought
0: I've been like this the whole time, but who knows? Maybe, anyway, we'll see on the you. video. I'm moving around <laughs> so much. Um, I'm curious for yourself. Like, do you 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 strike me as someone who's very um? What's the word I'm looking for? Very like, you think about your your short term goal your short term goals your long term goals um and you're very calculated in doing mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. um correct me if I'm wrong no, I think that's fair um for your how do you kind of see these next i don't know five years, ten years, what do you hope what's the dream?
1: yeah, that's a great question and a loaded question so i mean recently it's just been way way harder than I would have hoped to get sponsorship right yeah. so I raced full time in 2020, became the highest finishing American Euro series, only did a handful of races in 2021. Um, we haven't yet announced plans for 2022. So shameless plug. If anyone wants to mm-hmm. sponsor a New York City race car driver, yeah, you can find me. Yeah. Um, but also, um, you know, it's just it's. I've never just been racing. So like motivational speaking is really satisfying and cool. Mm. And I'm now jumping into NFTs and Mm. like deep, deep, dark rabbit hole that's Uh super cool and exciting. And so like there are some stuff there and I'm exploring, you know, I really like the idea of kind of human performance and helping people be their best. Mm -hmm. And so kind of, Vaguely looking at some stuff, maybe expanding keynote speaking. Not sure what. Um, but I love racing, and I, I no matter what, I know that I will keep racing at least for fun for a long time. Um, I hope to be able to keep climbing professionally, but I just don't know. You know, there are, it's a really hard time for a lot of racers.
0: Does that ever like? I don't know. I feel like that could be so defeating in a sense too. Oh yeah, because that's like oh, so yeah. crushing. Because you're so like you're in the top point zero one percent. Of what you do and then at the same time there's so many like stupid politics and funding and this and that that's just like like just let me race let me do let me do what I'm what I'm best at
1: yeah I think it's you know and I saw it as I was moving up you know even other women who were really competitive right um, who made it to a level slightly below me and just couldn't keep going it's like but but she's so good why isn't she Mm -hmm. making it and you see it with guys too they're really talented people who just can't get that next step um and it sucks and i think um but that's also the nature of the sport that i i guess i chose i don't think i'd be good at another sport but sometimes i just get so jealous of like people who can pick up a tennis racket or can pick up a basketball (laughs) because the other thing is like our we can't even practice right because racing is racecraft against other cars and even in our practice which is still expensive we're not going to race other cars so the only way to improve your racecraft is to get in races
0: Yeah, it's not like a little like let me go shoot around the back, right? Back. It's yeah, like, let me chuck on a huge thirty four hundred pound car. You have to get a bunch of them done too. They break. How many How many cars do you have? Well,
1: the team owns the cars. Like okay, yeah, at the from the minor leagues up for the most part, the team owns the car, and like you, depending on the team, some of them have a backup car. Mine have always had backup cars because you need backup cars, right. um, or you fix them, but. Yeah, and also just like where are you going to go practice? You need to rent the racetrack, right. and
0: it's oh yeah, dude, expensive. So too. many
1: factors, Jesus so many Christ. factors. Yeah,
0: you know what? I also wanted to ask you go your take it. on the on the little. Um, I don't know if you 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 follow a lot of the F one, that little that little oh, yeah. that little ending with the Verstappen okay. and Hamilton. What see? Okay, that was like I'm not gonna lie. I that love was, Formula One. That was maybe the first race that I ever watched, and I turned it on just because I was scrolling on Twitter. Twitter, boredly at like 10 a.m. when it was like maybe like two laps mm-hmm. left, it's so like oh shit, let me turn this on, and I and I literally like opened the ESPN app to that moment. Yeah. So so here's who, my hot take. up. Here's
1: my hot take. I think the officials fucked up.
0: That's what I think too.
1: So I, don't know I will be the first to admit that both drivers, both Max and Lewis, deserve to win that championship. And
0: Lewis a little more. No.
1: I'm personally team Lewis, but I can acknowledge that okay. both deserve to win. Because yeah, because then Max also had had mechanical failures that Lewis didn't have throughout the okay, season. Okay. So just fair, like fair, they fair. clearly both deserved it. Um, and in that race in particular, Lewis, Lewis sir, Hamilton was on, in front. Come on, come on. And I think the officiating was so piss poor um, and inconsistent, and they changed last minute. And I think the whole point Strength. of regulations is when you're in those situations to have a go to. Um, and so I think everything with the safety car was messed up. I think what they did with the lap cars was messed up. Um, so I think that Lewis got robbed again, season wide. Sure. Max also deserved to win. Right. Um, and and my my team owner in the Euro Series is related to Max, so I'm like, ooh, so treading you, lightly. All right, so Max deserved it. Max deserved it. <laughs> no, no, no. But I I personally think that Lewis was robbed. Um, and but I don't think it wasn't like either driver's fault. It was, no, yeah.
0: But then didn't he get fired that dude.
1: Massey got fired, yeah. And um, the reality is like, you know, you strayed from the regulations, mm. and I—that's the whole point of having them. It was messy. It was messy. It was, it was so messy. It was. This year is gonna be spicy.
0: I know, very spicy from yeah. what I hear. Yeah, I might actually have to watch. Um, <laughs> to wrap to wrap things up, and I'm always curious, uh, like understanding my guest's viewpoint on on legacy I don't know if that's mm. something you think about and I think that yours is uh you know you're gonna have a lot of beautiful healthy life ahead of you hope so but um you know I think that like yours in particular is like it's a really it's a really cool life story and I hope that you're you're humble I know you're humble but like I hope that you know how cool your life is
1: I might be humble I'm also like quite proud good, of myself. and yeah. you want
0: sh- and yeah. you, you 100% should be. Um, What do you hope that that your legacy is?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, I've thought about it a lot recently, especially, you know, with so much momentum in my mid-20s and then it slowed down a little bit Mm -hmm. more recently and kind of reassessing and and coming to terms with things and deciding, you know, what to keep pushing. And um, and I'm not going to have kids anytime soon, but I hope to one day. And, you know, I think about, well, I want to set the example to, you know, Push really, really hard mm-hmm. and to follow your gut and to really, like, you know, ask all the questions. Don't be afraid. I realize, like, there, I look back a little bit on my 20s, I'm like, ooh, I should have been ballsier in reaching out to someone. I'm pretty good. Like, I cold call and I reach out, I find a way to get in touch mm-hmm. with people, but could have been a little pushier. And so I just, I think the idea of really going for it, um, but being smart about things, having a bit of a safety net. Um, but in terms of legacy, I don't know, it's changing because, like, I think also my view on the world is changing like what was the most important thing to me at 25 is now different at 30 and mm. like understanding how you know being proud of yourself and being content to a certain extent by also, but also striving for more it's a weird balance mm. right um so i don't have a great answer for legacy i think i think it's about I, w- I always hope to with people i work with to help them be their best selves and what i like to say in my keynotes is that i really believe that teams or communities or groups like really thrive when everyone is an active participant. And so how do we help everyone that we're working with to be their best selves, to be their active, their active self, to really diversify the pot, to bring ideas, to collaborate. Um, And I think that's kind of the ethos of how I try to Mm -hmm. live my life and how do we elevate others? How do we use them to elevate ourselves? And how do we, you know, to quote my parents, like live big on whatever scale that is. Mm -hmm. Living big can be on a small scale right. on a global scale like who knows but just living intentionally and intensely and yeah I think that's what i strive for
0: i think that's i think that's exactly what you're doing thanks well it's been uh an absolute pleasure to uh to have you on thank you for having we me g- we could go for hours but I'm getting run out of here by josh that's all no, right, I'm, that's g- all right. <laughs> I'm kidding but uh truly truly a pleasure to have you on and uh i hope that uh well, I have to. I want to. I want to come to one of these NASCAR races because I've never Legend. been. I'll, I'll be a little yeah. amateur and just like you know, a little kid in the candy store, just looking around. Like it's super. so electric. That's like, what the I hear. Energy is that's so that's what I hear. Intense. It's electric. Yeah. So hopefully we make that happen one day. And um, but seriously, I uh, I think you're awesome, and I hope that uh, I hope you, you continue doing all that you're all that you're doing because uh, I'm sure. And and you know, I think you're inspiring not just a lot of young women but also young men. Um, I hope so. I, yeah. I, I I'm I'm confident you are. Uh, and uh, so keep doing your thing.
1: Thanks so much. Yes. It was great to be here.
0: Awesome. Beautiful.